Amen. Praise God. And talk about the type of faith that God wants to bring in the earth and he wants us all to operate in it when necessary. You'll see that these situations where you will operate in prophetic faith, sometimes they're not your normal everyday activities, but there is a place where faith will break you into a different realm of living. It'll bring a total different change in your life. I always think about prophetic faith, I think about it, it breaking a plane or breaking a power. You know how if you watch a football game and sometimes it's fourth and inches and that's where you are. You're in a fourth and inches situation. Which means you ain't gonna get another first down, you ain't, you're gonna have to do it this time or it ain't gonna happen, okay? This is no time to punt. <laughs> Alan Wilson was saying, uh, it's fourth down, what do you do? And I said, punt? <laughs> he said, no, kick a field goal. I'm going, oh, okay, excuse me. <laughs> Mighty warrior, woman of God, said punt. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you feel like you want to punt. <laughs> Devil, get off of me. I don't feel like it today. But anyway, if you're in one of those situations where you've got to have a breakthrough, you know, when, they, when it's inches and all these guys are piled up on each other, and the fourth the force going for the for the touchdown and they meet this opposition coming against them it's like equal force meeting equal force and so all these guys bump in there and pile up on each other and maybe you saw that line move back a few inches so they got to peel all these guys off and find out where the ball is and if it crosses that plane there's a touchdown six points, you don't punt, you don't give it back to the devil, you don't back off and say, uh, I didn't really mean that, I think God meant I'm supposed to do this over here. See? And so prophetic faith causes you to do the fourth down play that's going to cross the plane and get you over in that other realm where there's the goal, where there's the promise, there's the answer. But you got to cross that plane and there's opposition to crossing the plane. And you know how the game is always more exciting if they do some kind of cute play, you know, to get them across. You know, like the end around, hand around, Statue of Liberty quarterback sneak thing that they do. <laughs> so God's sitting there in the stands. He's the, who owns the lions here? Who owns the Detroit Lion? What's his name? Oh, Ford. Oh, why didn't I think of that? Hey, oh, Ford. <laughs> Say Ford around here, it's answered everything. But he's sitting, he's like Ford, the owner, sitting up there in the grandstands. And sometimes God wants a little excitement in the game. So you'll have to think of something ingenious by the Holy Ghost to do to get you across that plane. Sometimes it's a foolish thing. Like if somebody comes up to the altar to get prayed for, blinded eyes, and you say, pardon me, be healed. <laughs> That's what Jesus did. Prophetic faith, folks. 
What it does is it knocks everybody out of where they've been and puts them over in a... He didn't do that. Smith Wigglesworth, they say somebody brought a deformed baby to him. All these people feeling sorry for this poor deformed baby. Pity won't heal anybody, folks. I have news for you. It's from the devil. Pity, the best imitator of the Holy Ghost is the spirit of self-pity. Because it's a false comforter. It's a false guide. Brings in false gifts and knowledge. It imitates the Holy Ghost better than any spirit that I know of. Because it always has an answer for you. A soulish answer. You better leave your wife. God's got somebody better for you. Oh, look at her. She let herself go. She doesn't dress like she used to. No, because you, you jerk, you cheap jerk, you ain't buying nothing for her to wear. Oh, excuse me. Okay. I, is, was that bashing? Okay, hands off. I didn't touch anybody. <laughs> or, or this one. I like this one. Now, see, I do women stuff too, but I'm women on women all the time. I got to do men because they're here. They don't usually come to women's meetings, so we can have a little fun. God sends you here so I can give examples you can relate to. But this one's another good one. I can't talk to my wife. She doesn't understand me like you do. Or you ain't real deep and you ain't hard to understand. You just got a lust devil and you need to go pray somewhere. There's nothing hard to understand about that. It's not real deep. It takes a lot of prayer and understanding. You just need to be delivered. And keep your hands to yourself. And start loving your wife with your thoughts, and with your mouth, and with everything that's in you. And you'll be straightened out. For women that like to run from one spiritual meeting to another, prophesying to everybody. Got a word, got a, oh, got to be over here, got to get a word, got to be over here, got to get a word, get a word. I got a word for you. Go home and clean your house. <laughs> That's a start. Take authority, prophesy to that dust. If you want to move something. <laughs> See if your house will receive your words. How do we get way over there? I was over here. Bryson does that to me. I don't think he ought to be sitting on the front anymore. No. Be blessed. If I didn't have him to pick on, I don't know who I would. But he provokes me to jealousy and to the love of God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but see, prophetic faith will cause you to do something unusual, something that's not in the ordinary, something totally foolish that only God can think of that will break a power in the atmosphere that are holding things where they are right now. Okay? It breaks a power in the atmosphere that has people in situations and the circumstances set up in such a way that it's not changing. 
the situation that you are in in your life right now is a spiritual atmosphere that you have created with your faith, with your words, with your activities. You are living at a certain level of spiritual activity. Whether you're in the spirit or not, all the time where you live, you're living, your faith has brought you to the place that you are. So if you don't have everything that you need, and none of us ever do, folks, none of us have ever arrived where we've got all our little ducks in a row and everything lined up just the way we want it. If you don't have it all together, you've got to press into a higher level and dimension of living into a higher spiritual climate and atmosphere, and it's gonna be a higher level of living in faith for you. It's a higher level of living. So if you want an increase in your pay, if you want an increase in your ministry, if you want an increase in your, your personal life, you want your children to be more godly, you want to see them serving God, you want to see the grandchildren preaching and laying hands on the sick, you've got to come up higher. There's got to be some change that will cause you to break that plane of where you are living to break over into another realm. And if you look at the Gospels, you'll see Jesus did this all the time. Why do you think the Pharisees reacted to him? All he had to do was just happen into the place. And they had a fit. It's because he changed the atmosphere just by his presence. And a good prophet will do that. They walk in the spirit, they should carry an anointing that changes the atmosphere. Because if that person is really standing in their authority and they stand in an office, an office carries with it an atmosphere. It's like your briefcase that's got all your stuff in it. Ministers carry atmospheres. You know, I don't care where Brother Cirillo is preaching. When he comes in the building, you know he's there. The atmosphere changes. And I don't care who's up there doing the announcements or whatever, pretty soon they shut down and shut up and let's get on with the meeting. And it's not anything that he does is strictly done by the Holy Ghost. And pretty soon he's going to come up and speak because the Holy Ghost has come before him to prepare the way. Glory goes before you and it's your rear guard. And so prophets carry atmospheres. Much more than any other ministry gives. Apostles carry it to a degree, but prophets carry atmospheres. And their goal is to bring everybody into that realm, into that atmosphere. Their goal is not to come out and come where you are, it's to bring you into where they are. That's why they refuse to change. See, that's what they're sent for. Yes. <laughs> it's not that we're mean and we're better than anybody, but I ain't coming down where you are. I used to live there. I didn't like it. I'm up here. You come up here if you want to talk. 
And they come to change the body of Christ and bring us all into a higher realm of living. That's why you like Brother Cirillo's meetings. That's why you like these meetings. Y'all crazy for sitting up here on a Saturday morning for four or five hours floating around in the spirit. People who are called to it will flow in with it. That's why some of your little buddies that you think are spiritual don't ever show up. They can't get with the flow. And many times people want you to come out of the realm of the spirit into their level to deal with them. Well, all this pity and... Oh, gosh. Well, I ain't coming out, I ain't coming out, I'm not coming out. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't. Staying right where I am. Because it's better for you if you come up than to have that individual come down. They're crazy if they do it anyway. Now you get all kinds of temptations all the time to step out of where God called you and step into a lower level of, of living and anointing. Prophets do that often enough. They compromise their anointing and it won't be there when you need it. Because the anointing does not belong to you. It belongs to God. It's conferred upon you by reason of your gift, your call, and the price that you have paid for the amount that you have thus far. So it's a set package deal. And you can't twist it and turn it and manipulate it and it still be God. You can't do that with the Holy Ghost and with the power of God. You've got to flow into it, not vice versa. And so many people, when they first come into prophets' meetings, they want you to be like their pastor. Well, I'm not a pastor. Search me. I'm clean. I got no pastor stuff on me. I've been searched and found clean. <laughs> totally. See, pastors are called to love you into a discipline of coming to church every Sunday giving your tithes and your offerings and staying with your husband and keeping a job. I could care about that stuff. If you don't know how to do that already, go back to church on Sunday. I'm not going to have a pity party with you about what your husband put you through. I want to hear his side of the story. What did you put him through last week? <laughs> We're going to have a trial. We want to hear both sides. <laughs> And I'm not going to thank you for coming to the service. If you don't show up, I'll stay in the bed. Shaking hands at the back door. Give me a break. <laughs> if you don't come, if God wants me to see you bad enough, I'll find you. <laughs> I mean, that's the way this gift operates. Now those other gifts, that's real nice and everything. They're there every Sunday to pat you on the back and wish you well. <laughs> Forget it. You want the prophet's reward, you better receive what I got to say to you. If you don't want it, adios. It's just that simple. Because that's not what we're called to do. We are not called to teach you how to come every week. You ought to already have your, have your mind made up what you're going to do. I'm here to get you to receive once you get in here. 
I don't want you to leave the same way you came in. You're going to be changed. So if you don't want to be changed, if you just want to go with the flow, go to church. <laughs> Sunday and Wednesday. But if you want to be changed, you come in and you jump in the water. There's rivers flowing, rivers of life, and you come, you jump in and partake. Don't sit on the edge of the pool sticking your toe in. I might come and kick you over in there. <laughs> See, I told you it wouldn't drown. Just get in there and swim. <laughs> yeah, you thought you were going to drown many times, didn't you, Miss Clyde? See, and you're still with us, aren't you? The wetter, the better. <laughs> <laughs> the prophets called you to live on the edge. I'm getting out of the bed for a bunch of religious people. Now, if y'all get religious on me, I'm staying at home. You look up here one day and see I ain't here. Just repent of being religious and I'll come back. But I ain't getting out the bed for a bunch of religion. We're going to live on the edge of the things of God. <laughs> We're dangerous, but we don't tell everybody we are. We're dangerous for real. Okay, all right, I say all that to say this, we're going to Mark, the third chapter. I think we'll talk about this because this thing about atmospheres is very important and how prophets command atmospheres. And we have to do certain things to keep a certain atmosphere so that God can work. See, I may be a slob when it comes to cleaning my house. Now, that's as much as I'm going to confess, okay? But when it comes to keeping God's atmosphere tidy, we're sticklers. See, we can be totally different in the natural than we are in the spirit. So when it comes to keeping God's atmosphere so that God can work, we line everybody up. So that the atmosphere is right for God to work. Okay? And we kind of don't care how we do it, you know, we're not real refined about it sometimes, but we get the job done. And then when people see what happens as a result of it, they learn how to go with the flow too, okay? I don't care much for this excellence in ministry thing that people seem to be talking about. I don't see much spiritual excellence there, it's not a whole lot of fruit. You know, there's glossy paper, everybody shows up on time, they're real particular, get everybody down, you know, ministers in a certain place, and then the people somewhere else, and this over here and that over here. But you don't see anybody get healed, you don't see anybody get delivered. Very few people get saved, because it's too excellent in the natural. It's too pat, it's too organized, it's religion, charismatic, gone crazy. Pastor looks like he's got a girdle on. I don't know where that came from. You know, I mean, they're all into appearance. These great big shoulder pads in the suit. Their hair looks like it's been pressed. And they walk back and forth and they tell you how to be blessed. 
When Jesus came into an atmosphere like that, he kicked the tables over, took a whip. Get out of here. Yeah, sit down. You sit down. I never called you. You get over here and play some real music. Play that funky music. <laughs> and can we get an anointing in this place? Can we get some work done? See, when he turned over the tables and kicked out the money changers, it changed the atmosphere in the whole joint. Huh? You can't do miracles in a house of merchandise. Does anybody hear me? Only two masters to serve is either God or mammon. You'll love one and hate the other one. The Pharisees were serving money. You know that's why religion is there for money? Jesus said there's only two people to serve. You either serve God or you serve the God of mammon. There's two motives for doing anything. Either love or money. Or the love of money. But either the love of God or you do it for money. And Jesus said if you love money you're going to hate me because I'm the other master. If you love me, you're going to hate doing things strictly for the money. You either serve one or you serve the other. And so when he turned over the tables, that went, everybody went, <laughs> kind of like you all are doing inside. Some of you said, I don't believe she's saying play that funky music. I'm crippled now. Good. Fall down. <laughs> we'll keep knocking them religious crutches out from under you. Well. But you know, when people get in awe, it changes the atmosphere. You go in and preach from the Spirit of God. They, honey, they have moved atmosphere-wise. You've just knocked over their pet thing that they like to worship besides God. You kicked it over. And that's what prophetic faith has to do, folks. It has to kick over some idol that's been causing the atmosphere not to be an atmosphere where miracles can take place or where some change can take place. So you can command atmospheres in different ways. Benny Hinn does it through the music gift, through the ministry of music. But it's mostly through the word that he does it. But music enables people to come into the word much more than just straight preaching does. And it allows a certain dimension of ministry to a person's soul that brings in a different kind of a comfort that allows more people to enter in. And he doesn't depend on the congregation to sing. That's why he has a choir to do it. To command that atmosphere and to work in that atmosphere and work and work and work and work until God shows up. All that choir is doing is it is changing the atmosphere so it is conducive to healing and miracles to come in. That's why they sing comforting songs. They sing word songs or songs that are scriptural or the ones that God has anointed. If God's not anointing that song, they kick it out. They throw it out. 
if they introduce something new, God has to anoint that new thing before they'll do it. Because there's too much at risk for somebody to come in with their pet thing they like to do and just do it. Okay? And that's the way prophets look at things all the time. We always think there's too much at risk for us to let somebody come in with their pet thing to do and do it. Or somebody give a testimony at the wrong time when it's time to pray. Sometimes I won't let, if I feel the spirit of intercession in, I'm not going to ask the Holy Spirit, uh, wait until, you know, we need to do, uh-uh, no way. It's too hard to get an anointing in here to begin with. It's taken Benny, he's been preaching, what, 23 years. This anointing's really just come into his life within the last six or seven years. Take too hard, it's too much work, study, prayer, sacrifice, pay your dues, serving under this one, study under that one grabbing here, there, and everywhere a little bit to get an anointing into your life. And you're going to let it get pushed away because somebody gets a bright idea. No way. Okay? So as far as order, we'll have divine order by the Spirit that keeps the atmosphere right so that we can do certain things. Okay? And so that atmosphere, changing the atmosphere is what you're after. Anything that's prophetic faith, it has to change an atmosphere from being barren and unproductive to one that's producing all the time. All the time. All the time producing. All the time bearing fruit. All the time. We want a bumper crop. We're not going to sit here and talk about what we did last month. Praise God, we, we, you know, God used us and we were able to help some people. But the hunger for what's ahead should always be stronger than what you left behind. And you've got to leave it as fruit that remains for Jesus so that he can get the glory for it. You know, even when we share testimonies, like in the newsletter, I have to be careful that we just keep it to the point and don't try to pump up the ministry. It's not my ministry, that's why I don't have my name on it. It's another way to keep the devil off your case. I found that out real early. I just told the Lord one day, God, if you give me a ministry, I don't want my name on it. And he said, okay, cool, I'll get more glory that way. It's amazing how many people think because your name's on something, you own certain kinds of gifts. And I'm not saying people shouldn't have their names on their ministries. I think if you're preaching, they ought to know your name and know who to call if they want you to do a, minute, a meeting. But you have to be careful too. You have to be careful to stay in a balance that you're, they're not looking to you instead of looking to the one who's doing the work through you. Or you don't, you know, pump your ministry up because you want to be bigger and do more for the sake of doing more, not for the sake of helping people. And so there's a balance to be had there. Okay, Mark chapter 3 says, and he entered the synagogue, that's Jesus, Mark chapter 3 verse 1. says he entered the synagogue again 
and a man was there who had a withered hand. Now Jesus had already taught the Pharisees about the Sabbath. Why don't you jump up there to verse 23 in chapter 2 because it's important to understand Understand how prophetic faith will break every conventional thing that there is that needs to be broken. Now there are some traditions that should be kept because they are of God and we need to keep them. But the Pharisees had gone way beyond what the law of Moses told them to do. And they were making up their little rituals and their little steps and formulas and their little things that they do, that religious people do. You know, sometimes people will give you a bunch of steps, and if you violate those steps, they're real upset because they think God won't work. God's not a God of steps. He's a God of principles. If the principle's right and your heart's right, any step will work. Any step will work. It says, now it happened that he sent through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. So they were picking corn because they were hungry. So the principle here is that you're hungry, you got to eat. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now the Pharisees had some weird idea about certain work that was not to be done. Okay? God called the Sabbath for man as a day of rest, just like God rested on the seventh day. And that day was holy and sanctified unto the Lord. In other words, don't think about your bank account today or going to work or making more money. This is the Lord's day. Think on Him. Worship Him. That's what the Sabbath is. It's a place of rest and worship in the Spirit and in God, where you focus on God. And so they said, why do they do that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David when he did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were here with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He, God did not create you. He did not create laws first and then slot you into the laws. He created you and gave the laws to help you to live for him. Taste not, touch not, handle not. Okay. All these high, low-protein, high-carbohydrate vegetarian Christians need to start living out of the Word and bless that food, whatever crawls across your plate needed. I'd rather eat cooked food any day than a bunch of vegetables in a restaurant that have bugs crawling all through them. I mean, I, you know, I had a little, little science. I was a nurse, taught nurses, know a little bit about bacteria, folks. I'm telling you, if you can boil it, fry it, or roast it, you're better eating it than if you eat it raw. Just in general. You've got to have stronger faith to be a vegetarian and eating raw stuff, and a lot of stuff like that that you don't cook much, as opposed to eating meat, God forbid. Eat a carcass. Yeah, meat. I'd rather boil mine three days and eat it 
<laughs> you ask them to go and put a little swab and culture some of those things that they keep those vegetables in, see how clean they are, how good that stuff is for you. The Bible says you got to bless it all and before you eat it so it is sanctified. Because the Holy Ghost lives in you. He's got to live off holy food. No food is better than another food. God gave all of it to you to consume. We'll just go easy on the Fritos and the dip. That's all. You know, I know that from experience. <laughs> got to go light on that stuff. Bless that real good with a double measure. But God did not make a bunch of rules and regulations and slot us into them to make us obey these laws. He made us first and he gave us the laws so that it can make life better for us so that we could live for him. But some of these minor laws will be violated in prophetic faith. <sighs> there it goes again, that inner scream. No, you don't have to sin that grace would abound. But I mean these picky little things that people get in their carnal minds that they think make them holy. Y'all gonna have to stop that. If you're gonna live by the faith of the Son of God. Like he might tell you to take your tithe and give it to a prophet instead of your church. Jesus is Lord of it. Oh, the tithe was for the whole priesthood. Now let me tell you what God's not pleased with. He's not pleased with you sitting in somebody's meeting who's helping you and you give them what's left over. You take the big piece to the big church where you can't even talk to the pastor. You can't get this close to it. Hey, you're not pleased with that. They're not pleased with that. And you're not going to get very much. The Bible says if they sow spiritual to you, they're entitled to reap your carnal. No reaping, no sowing. You sit there for years, you won't get a whole lot. You will not get it. The storehouse is in heaven, folks. Thank God it's not in a building with some preacher managing it. There's not an earthly storehouse. We give into a heavenly storehouse. God is not telling you to take a priesthood tithe and give it to your neighbor because they can't pay their rent. That money belongs to the ministry gifts. It's a different tithe altogether that you give to the poor. Oh, we're going into oblivion now. Everybody, huh? <laughs> yeah, read your Bible. There was at least two tithes, if not three. That 10% that you give that the church keeps telling you can only give it to them, that's for the priesthood. It's for the ministry gifts of God. It's for all of them. Okay? I think if churches would be more faithful with what they have, they'd have more. They wouldn't have to demand so much. Instead of running all the preachers out, 
that God sends, maybe you ought to put them on staff and pay them. What a concept. More than one ministry gift in the house. I wonder if it'll fly. <laughs> Just fishing a little bit, folks. Just a fishing. But see, it's going to be goofy rules like that that you might have to violate that's going to bring your blessing to you. Ooh. Mm. If you're given just to be a member somewhere, wrong motive. You better make sure that your heart's in that and you've heard from God and he says to do it that way. See, the answer to the financial problems in the church is not more money. I wish people would get that straight. If it were, we serve a rich God, he'd send it already. He's looking for faithful people who will do what they're supposed to do with what you've got. If you're faithful over that, he will send you more. If you're faithful over that much, he will send you more. We do not have a money problem in the church. We have a problem with faithfulness. That's always the problem. The law of sowing and reaping works whether you believe it works or not. He upholds the world with the word of his power. That's one of the words of his power. It works, period. You don't need more tithers. You just need to be satisfied where you're at. And ask God to bring you faithful people. And you be faithful what he's given you. If you already got too many people in that church and they can't get you, guess what? You ain't going to get more money. You can't meet the needs of the people who are there. Money's not the problem. The problem is faithfulness. If we're faithful, those laws will work. God's got so much money, he can kick a bucket in heaven over and shower you down where you won't be able to contain it. But he can't do it because we haven't put laws of faithfulness in activation. Faithful people never have to pressure anybody for money. They don't have to threaten to curse anybody if they don't give. I was reading that in the paper, the one church that wants to build, build, expand their sanctuary. The reason the city won't let them do it, guess why? Somebody from the church got up in one of their meetings and said, if I'm quoting this right from the paper, those of you who hook up with this vision will be blessed. Those of you who don't will be cursed. Christians saying that to a bunch of sinners. So this is why they can't get what they need pushed through the legislature. See, if we don't as a church start governing ourselves and knowing when we're being stupid and stopping it, the world will do it for us. Now, if you bought with the blood of Jesus, you're not under any curse. Nobody can put you under one. There ain't one. And all this intimidation and crazy stuff. And see, that creates an atmosphere where God can't work and bless. You start threatening to curse people in the house of God, you won't have an atmosphere where people can get healed and get blessed.
you won't. So prophets come in to shoot all that stuff down. How can there be a curse on a new covenant? There's no sin on it. It was made through a sinless God, his sinless son, the Holy Ghost. There's no sin on the new covenant. If there is one, I got one I'd like to see carried out every Sunday. Let's have a show of hands. All y'all that slept in the wrong bed last night, raise your hand. Come up to the altar, we'll stone you to death. Well, it's a curse of the law. We don't have a selective curse, folks. If the curse on, it's on all over the place. No, you don't get a chance to repent. You're cursed. Let's go for it. We don't want any teeny rocks. We want them big boulders. <laughs> Now, how's the grace of God going to flow in a place like that where there's a mixture? So we're going to have to get the world again to show us when we're being stupid. Just creating an atmosphere to pull y'all into so you can be blessed. Everybody's going, I'm not going to go. I'm going to go. <laughs> I believe she said that. Yeah, she said it. She's going to say some more stuff, too. Okay. In Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered in again to the synagogue. He went in the synagogue and told them that junk they were doing with the Sabbath was cuckoo. Jesus said, if you're hungry on Sunday and you got to go out to the store and buy some food to eat, go buy it. Now, this is what it would be in our day and age, but in that day, that's what it was amounting to. If we had to obey them Sunday blue laws where all the stores were closed, we'd all be in hard shape. Because y'all work too long Monday through Saturday, and some of y'all working on Sunday. And don't feel cursed about it, do you? <laughs> okay. If you're cursed by breaking one of the law, you're cursed by breaking all of them. So this is a law Jesus made for man. He didn't make these laws and just slot you into them. Made them so your life would be better. So he went in there and there was a man there and he had a withered hand. And he went in there on the Sabbath on purpose. He didn't go in a matter-of-fact fashion. Oh, gee, well, let me just walk by the synagogue and see who's in there. No, he started a preaching about the Sabbath, and he's going to finish it. So he went in there on Sunday on purpose. To prove a point to get some faith in operation in the house. So they watched him. That they, it's a bunch of religious devils, 
and they're either in the atmosphere or they ride in on people or they come in on people and in the atmosphere and you get more of them when you come in there <laughs> but they're always there yeah. they that's per, that proverbial they they say they they say well they told me I heard it said once I was told that's always a bunch of devils talking to you the they so they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath that they might accuse him so Jesus decided well I might as well have some fun since I'm in here they're watching me anyway you know eyes cause your soul to penetrate an atmosphere there's a lot of soul power that comes through eye contact. When I tell people, stop looking at me, I can feel your eyes. Stop that. I mean that. You ever notice those hypnotists? How do they make contact with you? Gazing into your eyes. Look into my eyes. <laughs> there's power, there's psychic power generated there. It's soul power. It has power over your soul. It does. Harry Houdini was a hypnotist. He could put himself in a hypnotic trance and will his limbs to contort and to slip out of joint so that he could do his contortion. It's all psychic power. The spirit of Pharaoh, when it operates in domestic violence, a demonized man will use his will and his authority to paralyze his wife with fear. That's why they go and they're all black and blue and they say, I ran into a door. No, he didn't hit me. Because they've been given a sub subliminal and unconscious and subconscious suggestions have been placed into them and that's what rules their souls. It's the subconscious, what's in there, what you think very deeply, not on a conscious level, but it's been placed in there through psychic power. That's why I preach to men. I tell them all the time, look, God made you the head of your house. You don't have to prove it every day by coming in, lording it all over everybody. Be careful when you're in authority how you use it. You have to use it to bless and sanctify and honor people and lift them up and not put them down because there's real psychic power there and that's what the de the Pharisees and the religious devils were causing them to use was psychic power to control the atmosphere through watching devils that cause people not to move and worship God 
And you've all been there. You go into some churches, you don't know everybody. I'm just a stranger here. I'm just going to sit and see how they do things. They don't do them, okay? If you feel that when you go in, you'll never worship God in an atmosphere like that. You'll never lift up holy hands if you have to think whether it's okay to do it. They are already in control of the atmosphere. And you get enough people in there that don't want to move and don't want to worship God, you will have nothing but death in that place. A dead service with dead people with no power to raise themselves. And they won't do it. So that's what Jesus was confronted with. Whenever he went somewhere to perform a miracle, he was confronted with an atmosphere. Everything that he did, he had to do to change the atmosphere. He wasn't trying to be cute. He wasn't trying to draw attention to himself. He wasn't trying to showboat. He wasn't trying to abuse and not sanctify God before the people. He did it to change the atmosphere so it would be conducive to miracles or to what God wanted to bring forth. If he found unbelief through love, he would teach and preach to the people and teach them the ways of God. If it was being controlled by a spirit that needed to move, he did something to upset the atmosphere so that that thing would be kicked off of its throne and the Holy Ghost could come and control things so that he could do what he needed to do to give God glory and honor and to help the people. You didn't go to a service where Jesus was in control and leave not healed if you had faith. You got what you came there for. Why? Because he saw to it that you got it. If he had to confront every devil in hell to get you what belonged to you, he did it. He didn't back away from the devil or a fight or let the religious people tell him what to do and dictate that meeting and dictate that atmosphere. He took authority over it so that the people could get blessed and receive what God had for them. So they watched him real close, their beady little eyes, trying to use their psychic power. <clears throat> I know if I give him this stare, he'll really get nervous. He better not do that on this day. This place belongs to us. We own this synagogue. He can't come in here. That stuff. He didn't belong here anywhere. They say his mother was pregnant before they even got married. He's got no business in here. That's what they say about you. Religious devil will find something in your past to bring up and throw up to you for why you can't function for God. It says, and he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Come out of the atmosphere of death and come into life. Get up from where you are and move. Jesus never blessed anybody who wasn't willing to move to get blessed. So this guy is at his fourth and in inches with a withered hand. He can't hold the ball anyway. And Jesus says, cross the plain. And that's what he did. Come out of that death of that synagogue. You've been a member of this synagogue 
for 30 years and your hand still withered. When are you going to learn? Well, I have to be a member in case somebody gets married or in case I need to be buried. They ain't going to do either one for you, okay? When the time comes, they won't be available. Question is, what can God do for you in that atmosphere while you live it? Married, you can get at City Hall. Oh, there she goes again. You got to get married in a church. Guess what? If you get a license and get somebody who's qualified to do it, they're all legal as far as God's concerned. They're right. Or jump the broom. <laughs> you know, if you're not even in franchise, they don't consider you to be a human being. God honored people jumping brooms. <laughs> well, you know, we just. <laughs> well, see, that upsets all the tithers who are tithing so that their kids can get married in the church. I mean, it really does. It really does. You mean we can go to City Hall and God will honor it? Oh, yes, you can. You can be a sinner and get married and God will honor it. Marriage is honorable, period. Marriage is of God, period. Can you pray for a sinner's marriage and God will heal it? Sure you can. Done it many times. And while we're on this, let me throw this in for you. Sinners won't give you religious excuses for why they need a divorce. They'll just tell you they hate somebody. <laughs> you know, they won't give you this, I, I got to get somebody who has an anointing equal to mine. Re write this down. You don't have one. <laughs> If you're worried about getting an equal anointing, don't worry about it. You ain't got one. But God honors marriage. I don't care who's married. He don't care if they're sinners. He'll go to bat for your marriage because marriage is of God. That's why it's called holy matrimony. He's the witness at everybody's wedding that takes the vows. Okay? I don't care if you don't like that person after you got sex off your mind. He still witnessed it and you're still connected. Till death do you part. That means you're not supposed to have three, four, and five of them in your lifetime. How many times are you going to promise to die before you leave somebody? Oh yeah, that is right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Okay, let's move to the next thing here. I want to get through this, all right? But see, you all need to have some worldly crap shot down. Because there's some strange stuff floating around the body of Christ. I mean, it really is. You know, Christians go in the Bible and they think adul adultery is a reason to divorce somebody. It's not. Jesus said, what did Moses say? He's talking about the old covenant law. Moses said, except by, for fornication, you couldn't divorce somebody. Fornication meant, like Mary was, found to be with child before she married Joseph. 
Joseph was going to put her away privately because he was an honorable man. He didn't want to take her before the judges and have her judged. If you married a woman under the old covenant and you were jealous of her, it usually meant some man slept with her before you got married. Or she slept with somebody. After you were married, you can take her to the judge. They give her a, a solution to drink. And she would hold a twig in her hand, which is the judgment of Christ. And if she was innocent, she lived. If she was guilty, she got a disease that caused her thigh to rot and her stomach to swell up. And she dropped dead. Under the old covenant, there was one cure for adultery. You got stoned to death if you were caught in the act. There was no divorce for that. The bill of divorcement was given if a man woman married a woman thinking she was a virgin and found she was not. That's the old covenant. New covenant is, guess what? All sins are forgivable. You don't read the Bible to get a set of walking papers. Oh, I got them now! <laughs> Take them to court. <laughs> Think of the people who committed adultery and nobody found out, and they're still married. Carve, there you go again. <laughs> I'm upset. I'll just be upset. But you know, we got to watch attitudes. Goofy stuff that we carry around that we think lets us off the hook for obeying God. We forgive some of these people whether they cheated on us or not. We might find that there's a deeper realm of love of God to tap into. Just might. Just might. Just might. So he told this man with a withered hand, step forward. Step out of the old and into the new. So this man had to do something to bring him out of that atmosphere of religion and death and little nitpicky laws and little rituals that didn't mean anything and do this and do that without the unction of the spirit, without the wisdom of God, without faith in your heart to do the things that you do. He had to bring him out of religion, a dead religion with just a form of godliness and no power. They never let the power of God work in that atmosphere, never. And he had to move over into the realm of God, into the kingdom. Then he said to them, and this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil? To save a life or to kill it? Now this is the spirit of the law and it's higher than the letter. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And in order to tap into the spirit of the law, you've got to have a relationship with the lawgiver. You've got to go before the judge of all heaven and earth and say to him, God, explain to me what this means. If you have to stay with it for years, you'll tap into the 
spirit of the law if you go before a lawgiver. It's like if you go to court and you sit before the judge. The judge has to interpret the law for you because it looks like in black and white you got a pretty good case. Because he's familiar with all of the law, the whole counsel of the law, he understands the spirit of the law. That's why he's a judge and you're not. You're an obedient one. We got to obey it, but we can't judge it. He has to judge it. And if you're familiar with the whole counsel of the law, then you're able to judge. And only God can do that by the Holy Spirit. So you appeal. You see the letter written in the Bible, but you got to appeal behind the letter and get the Spirit. Jesus said the purpose of, of not doing these things on the Sabbath is not just to not do things. There's an evil intent and there's a good intent behind everything that you do. God's looking at the intention of it, folks. He's looking at the intention of it. And do you understand God's intent when he says certain things? His intent is not to have you do evil. Under the old covenant, people's hearts were hardened. And that's why if somebody tried to sneak something in on you and marry you under false pretenses, he said you can give them a bill of divorcement. Because your heart will never be softened to understand what caused that person to do what they did. So we're not under the letter where somebody, your spouse comes to you and says, I feel guilty, I did something I shouldn't have done. If it's adultery, you can forgive them. Your heart's been softened by the Holy Ghost. It's shed abroad. The love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. If God can tell Hosea, who was a prophet of God, to marry a prostitute, for sure we can forgive a spouse that the devil's got deceived and stepped out on us. Something stupid. Because we're running out of clean people to jump out of dirty beds with and marry clean people. You're over 30, you ain't gonna find no virgins out there. Barb said it again. I'm serious. You might as well forgive the adultery you're stuck with. You're gonna marry another one, chances are. Frying pan in the fire. So your love is gonna be stretched to unbelievable limits. And you're kinda gonna sorta feel like Jesus did, maybe which is right where he wants us all to be, feeling like him, identifying with his sufferings. Every time you jump out of bed and do your exercise bike first instead of worshiping God, that wounds him. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna kind of feel his rejection when we don't honor him the way we're supposed to honor him. Just a little bit. You know, he just wants you to taste of a little bit of what it means to tap into agape, everlasting, unconditional love. Now, where was I? So we're at the spirit of the law. Jesus said, is it good on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill somebody? But they kept silent. See, when you talk about the spirit,
spirit of the law to a religious devil, it shuts their mouth. They don't understand the spirit. It's light that's come to into their great darkness and they can't comprehend it, they can't understand it, they can't grasp it, they can't pull forth thought from the dark realm. The spirit of God and the revelation of God shuts the door to darkness, shuts it out. And they can't find an answer for you because God's higher than they are. And he lives in a higher glory realm that they can never touch. Always deal from the spirit. That'll shut every devil's mouth that ever thinks he has something smart to say to you or something interesting to tell you or a word from the Lord for you. So they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, hello, being grieved for their hardness of heart. See, if you live in the letter all the time and not the spirit, you live there because your heart's hard. You won't let God penetrate your heart and soften it so that you can understand some things about people. Like people's motives and what they do. You know, people don't give up their marriages. You know, that person that stood next to you and made that vow was just as sincere as you were when they did it. Something happened to pull them off track. They're not acting crazy because they hate you. They're doing it because they can't do any better. And God's looking to you to have compassion on them and pray for them. Says, and we looked around for anger because he was grieved at their hardness of their hearts. He said to the man, Stretch out your hand. Now, let me tell you something. He didn't tell that man to stretch out his hand when he was on this side of the plane. He couldn't have done it. Okay. When he was caught up in death and religion and rules and regulations and jots and tittles and letter instead of spirits, when he was over with the religious Pharisees and sitting in their atmosphere and letting their eyes control him, he didn't have the faith, he wasn't in the prophetic faith realm to even do anything. That's why Jesus said, get up from where you are and come up here. Step a stretch, step forward, come up to where faith is. He was pulling him in faith. If Jesus had told that man to stretch out his hands while he was sitting in all that death and religion and the Pharisees' eyeballs on him, that man would have said, ah! <laughs> so he stretched his hand out. Don't laugh, it's happened to me. <laughs> Try to do a miracle in a religious place, and <laughs> they holler. That's why I tell people to come to the altar. Now, religious people will say, I can receive right here in my seat. Yeah, you, know, you receive another religious spirit. If I tell you to come up, it's because that's where my faith is for you to get it, it's up here.
So then he tells him to stretch out his hand. And when he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. The Pharisees, because they couldn't stop it, went and backbit the minister. Plotted against him. They'll put out lies on your ministry. Talk about you like a D-O-G, instead of God's child, G-O-D. Because they can't stop what you're doing, then they backbite you. You'll never get so backbitten as when you obey God. They'll send lies against you, stop people from going to your meeting to get help. Put fear in you. Well, I heard something whispering and buzzing. If I find that out and I know him, I'll call him, tell him, come out and fight like a man. <laughs> Over here whispering like a little woman in a corner. You're a man, come out and fight me. Got something against my ministry, tell me about it to my face. Well, if your brother has ought against you, you must go to him. Didn't say how. <laughs> you know, back on the spirit of meekness, entreating that person. But I've already kicked the devil's butt in the prayer closet. So they'll either lie and say they didn't say it. Then they'll go beat up the people they told on them. <laughs> Let the devil have a house of division. <laughs> and strife and confusion. But me, myself, I'm going to keep obeying God. Okay, so, so now you understand how prophetic faith comes about. You have to come out of that atmosphere that's holding you into bondage to that which is binding you. Then you can obey the command of God. Many people try to obey God in a wrong atmosphere. They don't have enough faith to do what they're trying to do. Hmm? Or they want to straddle atmospheres. See, some of y'all need to quit going to them dead meetings you go to. The little ladies' meetings. Just an aside. Because you're in the spirit one day and you're in your soul the next. You're in the spirit, you're in the soul. 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 Get in the spirit and stay there. Because your soul wants to have a little workout. You get in certain atmospheres, you get a little attention. Prophetic atmospheres, Jesus is center stage. The Holy Ghost gets all the attention. So you're going to have to starve your soul and your flesh in order for your spirit man to get strong. Or you'll come to a prophetic meeting for a season, then you've got to have a fix, a soul fix. Got to get back to one of them crazy meetings where they let me prophesy and lay hands on people. <laughs> oh, I've got to get over there. Hey, get fixed, fix, fix. 
Ooh, gotta have it. Well, you don't gotta have it. Get in the spirit. Let 97 be a year that you live for heaven, 100%. Quit going getting your crazy little soul fixes. Or God sends you a word from a prophet and you let the pastor steal it from you. I mean, real common. Well, they're not, they're not gifted to receive some words that God wants to give you. And so they won't bear witness to them. And you can't make them so that your soul can be comfortable that they approve of you. Get God's approval first. You don't have to worry about what any man thinks of what you're going to do if God approves of you. Because that's where people who make a difference reside. In the realm of God, I've heard from you. I've done what you said. I've got a witness. You even sent a prophet to give me a word. I'm going with that. You got two confirmations there. Because you will only live in the mediocre if you stay in that realm of living. Because the pastor may not be called to give you that word. God had enough sense to send you to a prophet. You have enough sense to obey what that man of God told you. He's a man of God just like your pastor is. People don't have a lock on your life. Like they're a Buddha or a something you rub and <laughs> you have to hear about the spirit God will even send prophets to you to give your word now if somebody comes to your house and is the spirit of God you better obey that kind of stuff God went through a lot of trouble to get that word to you and a good shepherd will either confirm it or say, I don't know. If you believe it's God, I think you ought to go with it. But some of them will tell you it ain't God and don't do it. And you gotta make up your mind what you believe and where you know God is moving. Because we're living in those kinds of times, folks, where it'll be tooth and nail whether you get what God sent you for, what he's promised to you. And you've got to know how to hear by the Spirit not by who you think that person is to you. You've got to discern by the Spirit. Is this the Spirit of God speaking to me? And if it's a man, a woman of God or in, of integrity, they will bless you in what you're attempting to do for God. Or they won't try to stop you if they're not sure. And they'll pray for you and bless you as you run on and do the best you can for God. But they will not try to hem you into a low level of living and steal the promises of God from you just because they're not a part of it. So you got to watch things like that. Don't let the word of God be stolen from you by somebody who lacks integrity. Always understand what God's doing in your life and the direction and the course that he has you on. Anything that encourages that course of action is God. Because if he's put you on that course, he'll help you along that course. And judge things by the spirit and not the letter and not what you think that person ought to do for you in your life. Be attentive by the spirit. Amen.
Father, we do thank and bless and praise and honor you, Lord. We love you. We lift you up and magnify you. That no man would put himself above you, above your holy word, and above what you are doing in the earth, God. We are all your servants. We are called to help the sheep. We are called to bless the sheep.